What a wonderful song. We forget sometimes that this is not our home. As our kids head off to Children's Church, I want to thank those that are working with them this month. Be turning over to Acts 17, if you would. And we're going to start talking here in just a minute. I wanted to thank Brother Danny for filling in for me last week. I was able to go preach over at New Hope Baptist Church in Black Oak now. They've moved there since their church was damaged by the storm. And we had a great time with them and kind of honored my dad that pastored there before he passed away. But I heard Danny did an awesome job. And as I always say, I'm so thankful to have guys like Danny, Brother Fred, Gary, Brother Bill, all these guys have filled in from time to time and done wonderful jobs. And I appreciate having that those kind of people to go to when I must be away. But since I was gone last week, I've got two messages for you, and so just settle in, and uh, we'll get it all in here before 3 o'clock, I promise. No, just kidding. I think John just passed out back here, Gary. (laughs) It's good to be with you guys, and we love you very much. As we continue on our journey in Acts, we have been preaching through the book of Acts over the last several weeks, and uh, we are, chapter 15, 16 got into... uh, Paul's second missionary journey, and uh, if you'll go to that next screen, guys, we, uh, we kind of see where this journey took us. This happened between Acts 15 and 18, and so we're kind of right in the middle of Paul's missionary journey, and uh, this happened about 49 to 52 AD, so that's kind of your time frame there, and you can see we started over here at Jerusalem, and you see up there on the right-hand side, and it swung way up through Antioch and Tarsus and Lystra and Iconium, Troas and Philippi. You've, that's where we talked about a couple weeks ago where the jailer was uh, saved at Philippi. And now we've come to a couple of towns there that you've heard, kind of heard of in the Bible. Thessalonica, that's where we get First and Second Thessalonians from. And also we're going to see Berea this morning. And then also we're going to go down to the cultural capital of Athens and, and, and kind of rest there a while and look at what's all going on there. And some interesting facts of how Athens kind of relates to, I would say, the United States today, to be honest with you, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But let's begin now in Acts 17 and verse 1, and we're going to start in the city of Thessalonica. And like I said, that's where First and Second Thessalonians, Paul would write to them later, and he was writing back to this church that was begin at this time, and uh, they began to uh, hear the gospel. Now, we've been talking the last several weeks about telling people the good news, telling people that Jesus loves them, sharing the gospel with them, and, and people respond in a lot of different ways. Some people don't have time for that. They've just, you know, they've got other things. That's just not their thing. And others want to know more. Others want to, want to give their heart to Jesus. And you're going to encounter all these different people as you go out, tell your story, and tell the story of the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Here in this particular city of Thessalonica, we see that, that some accepted, but the majority of the, the Jews especially resisted. So there's, we've got three cities this morning, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And you're going to see how in different cities, the gospel and the word of God was, re- was received in different ways. And so I guess if you could kind of categorize, and it's not saying that some weren't saved in Thessalonica, but I guess if you could c- categorize Thessalonica, that some of them resisted the gospel. So let's read about that together. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they, became, they came to Thessalonica, and you say, we've seen those little cities that I just mentioned up there on the screen, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, remember, Paul always went to the synagogues. He was of a, a, a Jewish uh, descent, 
And so he would always go to the Jewish places, the synagogues, and he would ask them if they could speak. And they always liked to hear people come and speak. And he would go to his home people, so to speak, and try to let them understand that there was a new way of doing things through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, as was uh, the cu- his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he, and here's some important words, he first of all reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, you remember what Paul's trade was. You remember what Je- Paul did for a job? He was a tent maker. And so during the week, he would work on his tents, and he was, he was doing his job. He was what we would call today a bivocational preacher. He was working and making a living. He always wanted to, to, to take care of himself. He didn't want anybody giving him money to do what he did for the Lord, so he had this job. He, he did what he did. And so he would work, and then on Sabbath, he would come in and speak to them in the synagogues, and he would reason with them. And he would, he would talk to them, and he would explain the scriptures to them, kind of like what I'm doing right now. He would, he would preach to them a message and show them what God had, had, what had for them. Now, one of the biggest things that really bothered them was this last part that I just read. The Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, these people in this part of the world, they thought that living in this body was the worst thing ever. They thought if they could be released from this body and to go and and to do whatever and be free from this body would be the greatest thing ever. And so when they heard of somebody rising again, that was almost like going against their their thoughts or or their their traditions. Because why would somebody want to come into this old body again and and live again? So why would Jesus want to be resurrected? That didn't seem like a God that I would want to worship, they said. And, of course, we look at it today, and we're kind of the same way. Why would you want to stay in this old body when you could be free with the Lord, okay? And, th- and we, we, we're praying for some people, and we see some people that get to the point in their life down the road here that are, are hurting, and they just hurt every day, and it's very difficult for them. And so we can kind of understand where they're coming from here, but this was their religion. This is what they were, and they didn't understand resurrection and, and all these things that Paul was talking to them. This is Jesus, he says, I'm proclaiming to you, and is the Messiah. And he said, he said, some of the Jews were persuaded. So it's a great thing to think about. When we go out and present the word, it's never going to return void. It's never going to return invalid. It's never going to be not worth it to share the gospel with Jesus, uh, with people, share the gospel of Jesus. So some of them, some of them believed. Some of the Jews believed. What else happened? Some were persuaded. And joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And it mentions them, okay? But, verse 5, other Jews were jealous. So, isn't it amazing that who was God's chosen people? The Jews. Who was having the hardest time understanding who Jesus was? The Jews. It's amazing as you look at that, the people that he came and loved and cared for, and they were having the worst time understanding that he was the Messiah. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the market, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. I ask you like I asked a couple weeks ago, what in the world have they done wrong? They have just shared the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. Jesus that came and died for them. 
that gave his life in their place, that was resurrected by the Father doing that. He showed us that the sacrifice had been accepted. And here they say, what? They're causing trouble all over the world, and we want them out of here. We want them out of here. Isn't it amazing how the word makes some people very angry? And you know that's just got to be infused by the devil. I just got to believe that's infused by the devil because he doesn't want you to hear that God loves you. He wants you to hear that nobody cares for you. He wants you to hear that you're not worth anything. He wants you to hear that you're just a failure. He wants you to hear that you're just never going to amount to anything. And when Jesus came, he changed all that. He gives all of us worth. Our worth is found in Jesus Christ. It's not in some job that we have or some bank account that we have or some possessions that we have or some status that we have as maybe a star in the entertainment world or a star in the football world. That might be big in our world, but, but that's not what gives them people worth. If you talk to people in that kind of setting, in that kind of lifestyle, they're usually some of the most miserable, most lonely people in the whole world. They are. They turn to all kind of things beside God. And the devil loves that. He loves for you to hear those kind of things. But Jesus said, I love you. I love you enough to die for you. I love you enough to to change your life, to give you worth. And man, the world needs to hear that. We have people in the world today that have no self-esteem. They feel like they're just nothing. They have nothing to live for. They have nothing to look forward to. And they turn to all kind of things to make them feel good. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can make you feel good. And he can make you feel more than that. He can give you assurance and a promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. Turn to him. Turn to him. Wonderful thing. But they were upset. They're causing trouble. They're not, they're not talking like we do. They're not speaking like we do. They're going against what we believe. And Jason, verse 7, had welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And I'm telling you, this was a different king. This was a king way different than Caesar. This was a king like the world had never seen before. How how different was he? Well, instead of having armies, he had ambassadors for Christ. He didn't go get up a big army. God didn't go get up a big army for Jesus and say, all right, let's take this world. He sent out guys like Paul and and Peter and, and Luke and Timothy. Everyday guys like me and you that had flaws and bumps and scrapes and we, we sinned and all those things. He, he sent these men out as ambassadors to him. He didn't have weapons of guns and, and weapons of swords and shields. His weapons were of truth and love. He bring peace by upsetting the peace. People were comfortable in what they were doing. They, they thought the whole world revolved around them. And God says, that's not where peace is found. I can give you a peace like you've... It passes all understanding. He conquers with the cross. And he dies for the enemy. Think about that. How many kings and how many leaders and how many armies in the world have fought? And did, did you ever see one of them stand up in the middle of the battlefield and say, Hey, over there, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die in your place so you don't have to die. When we've been in battle, when we've been in war throughout the years, it was always get them before they get you. 
But Jesus changed all that. This was a different kind of king. This was not a political king. This was not a king of this world. This was the king of glory. And his name was Jesus Christ. Man, can you see how, I can see how they can be confused. This is so different. He's changed everything. He's changed everything. We went last night to see Casting Crowns, and I, I just love their music. And he's the, the youth group leader in his church in Atlanta. And, and they're one of the biggest contemporary Christian groups around today. They've been in all these movies that we love, like Courageous and Facing Giants. Their music is in those movies. He's their, he said, we are the Wednesday night band at our church. Can you imagine that, Angie, that the Wednesday night band at your church is Casting Crowns? That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? But he said, Jesus changed everything. He said when he walked into a room and someone was blind, guess what? They could see. When he walked into a room and someone couldn't walk, they could walk. This was a different kind of guy. He ruined every funeral he ever went to. He raised them from the dead. Think about it. This was, this was different. This was radical. This was someone beyond what we quit trying to put Jesus in a box. You can't. He's bigger than we can ever imagine, guys. And we're trying to push him in there, and we're trying to say, you got to do this, you got to do this. Push him in there, and he's too huge for that. He's different than anything you've ever come across. He's different than anything you've ever faced in this life. He is God in the flesh. He is Jesus Christ. And he wants to rock your world in a way like it's never been rocked before. It's amazing when you think about that. I think a whole new way of doing things. A whole new way of doing things. He is another king. There is another king, one called Jesus. Verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And I believe, as I study and look at this, part of that bond was your job is to get Paul and them guys out of town. So if you don't get them out of town, we're going to come back and arrest you. We're going to de decline your bail, and you've got to come back. And so that's what's going on in Thessalonica. So here's the, here's the results of preaching the word on those three Sabbaths. Some of the Jews accepted it. Many of the Greeks and prominent men and women accepted it. But a lot of the Jews were very upset and very mad, and they resisted it. They resisted the gospel. So... We move on to the next town, Berea. Show us our next screen. See the little town there up here in the left-hand corner? They've been to Thessalonica. They come through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Thessalonica, and now they're at Berea, okay? Now they're at Berea. Verse 10, in Berea, and here we see the gospel received. As soon as it was night, and I think that had to do with the bond, they go, okay, as soon as it gets night, we're going to get you out of the city. We don't want you arrested. We don't want you being stopped from what you're doing, telling the gospel. We're going to move you on out of the city and let you go on and continue to preach. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. There he goes again to the synagogue, okay? Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with greater eagerness and examined the scriptures when? Every day to see if it, what Paul said was true. And I think that's a great thing. I, you've heard me say that to you before. Please read what I say. Look at what I say when I'm in front of you. 
If you see something that doesn't jive, it's not right, you come and talk to me. I don't, want to, I don't want to mislead these people. I don't want to mislead you guys. I don't want to do you know, the wrong thing. I don't, want you to, I don't want to quote the scriptures to you wrong. If you hear something that doesn't make sense, come to me. And I will stand in front of everybody and correct it because I can make mistakes. And here they were reading the scriptures every day. They wanted to make sure that this guy just walked into town. I mean, I'm sure they heard about Paul and his missionary journey and things. I'm sure they heard about he was coming town to town, but they didn't really know him. And he's standing up there and saying, there's a new way. And so they explored the scriptures and that it proved itself out to them. And I ask you to do that. As a result, many, I love that word, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. I wonder why they always had to say men and women. I think, to me, I think it just shows that Jesus, again, coming into a new way, a new way of thinking. Guys, remember, in this kind of world, in this time, women were like second, third class citizens. Women were possessions. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, no. Everyone that's part of my kingdom is equal. And he put women right up there with the men, all right? Now, guys, I do believe this. I believe, guys, as leaders of our home, I believe we are to be the spiritual leader in our home. I think God ordained us to be that. I think that's where kind of our world got messed up was when mom had to step up and start bringing the kids to church rather than us bringing mom and the kids to church. But here we see God mentioning through the scriptures, through inspiration, men and women, because everyone is equal. Everyone in this room this morning is equal before God's eyes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From this old preacher on down to everyone in this room, we're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus. We all need a Savior. We all need help. And he is willing to do that. Amen? He's willing to do that. And that's good to know. That's good to know. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too to agitate. Now, why didn't they just leave him alone? He left their town. That's the way the devil is. You ever try to get right with the Lord and the devil just comes and and knocks on your door every day? Hello, I'm back. You look in there, he's on your couch. He's sleeping on your couch. I'm back. I'm here to cause trouble again. I'm not going to let you get too far into this God thing. I'm going to cause you as much trouble as possible. I see it over and over when people give their life to Jesus. In the first six months, it's just sickness and death and hurt. and He's just trying to to make them. He's lost them to the Lord and salvation, but he's just going to make their their journey so hard that they're just going to sit down and say, it's just too hard, I can't do it. And here, these guys, they told him to leave town. They did that, and that wasn't enough. He's preaching in another city. Let's all get a group together and go down there and agitate and stir everything up. We live in a world just like that today that loves to agitate. We live in a world that people aren't happy unless they're getting, getting a dig in on somebody. Or they're telling somebody off. Or they're in a controversy with somebody. Or they're arguing about something. And that's the way these people were. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So they heard they were coming. They knew they were coming. They moved Paul on out of town. Silas and Timothy stayed there. They continued to preach, continued to share the gospel. Seemed like they were more mad at Paul than the others, maybe because he was the one standing up more than the others. I'm sure these others spoke too, but they just moved them on out. And they moved them down to Athens. Let's look at our next map. Now they're coming all the way down here to Athens, right off the, 
the coast of what we call Ikea and Corinth. You've heard of Corinth is where we got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, okay? It was the letters of those churches, and you see that there. All right, let's take a look at, at this church in Athens, and this is very interesting to me as I looked here. Let me read a little bit to you, and then I'll talk to you. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, right away, what do you see? This was a, Athens was a beautiful city. At the height of the, the Greek empire, man, they had it. They had it. it this, was, this was like heaven on earth. Beautiful column buildings and, and, and white marble and just, just, you know, lavishness everywhere. I mean, the rich of the rich, and they were smart, and, and, and they just, if you, if you, you know, it's kind of like us going to Paris. You want to go to Paris and see all that, but this was like the place to go. But right away, you notice something about Paul. Paul is not there to sightsee. Paul is there to save souls. And guys, we can get real wrapped up in this world and looking around and doing things and going here and there and everywhere. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we become sightseers. Just like Danny just saying, going home. This is, this is not our home. We can get so attached to this place and so attached to what we do that we just get caught up in all this. And man, we just love it. And oh, I just can't get enough of it. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we forget what, our prom, what, our, what we're here for. And that's to share the good news of the gospel. And so here Paul right away, he says, man, I'm looking around. And here's an idol here that's to this God. And here's an idol to this God. And, and they, had, they had gods that were, for some reason, they give them human qualities. And, and they were gods to like the sun, the stars. And, but they, they made them like humans. They, it was like he was the star, but he was, here's a man. And, and they, it's like bringing the gods down to their level. And we see that a lot going on today. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, some of them saying, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said that this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and what? The resurrection. They didn't like that. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Just talking, talking, talking. Some of the biggest things today on, that we listen to is talk radio, talk TV, talk news, talking, talking, talking. And all the while, there ain't nothing getting done. Amen? Or oh me. Yeah. Just talking, 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 talking. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. This at one time was the center of culture and education. Now, it's not what it was. The glory of its, its past is, is sinking, all right? They're not where they used to be. The Romans have kind of took over. It still had a famous university, and it had beautiful buildings. But they had not near the influence that they once had. The city was given over to cultural paganism. And that means pretty much whatever you wanted your God to be, it could be that. Just take care of yourself. Just be happy. 
Just whatever feels good, do it. That's what, that's what their God was. It was nourished by idolatry, novelty, and philosophy. The Greek religion made gods of human attributes and the powers of nature. There's a book out, The Life and Epistles of St. Paul, says it was a religion which ministered to art and amusement and was entirely destitute of moral power. Let me read that one more time. It was a religion which ministered to art and amusement and was entirely destitute of moral power. What is the biggest thing going on in this world today? Amusement. Amusement. We like to have a good time. And that's exactly where these people were. Idolatry. All kind of gods. God that acted more like the man than a god. It was easier to find a god than a man. Had them all over the town. If you needed a god for it, they had a, they had a statue erected to it. Just think about as you look around this city with me this morning. Kind of put yourself in Paul's place. You see statue after statue after statue after statue of all these gods. Gods and gods and gods and gods. Paul saw the city was wholly given over to idolatry. And it broke his heart. With all they had, the Greeks did not know the one true God. Out of all these things, all these statues, all these gods, they didn't know the one true God. And it broke Paul's heart. Novelty. Another part of this was the novelty. Listen to this. Always in pursuit of the latest, greatest thing. As I talk about this, see if you can see America in this. Always in pursuit of the latest, greatest thing. What did they just say there? You have something new that we haven't heard before. We want to hear more about this. Do we in America not pursue the latest, greatest thing all the time? Whatever's in style this week is out of style next week. Whatever's hot today is not hot. Whatever truck looks good today, it don't look as good as it did next year when the new truck comes out. We always want the latest, greatest thing. And that's what they were dealing with here in Athens. The fear of becoming has-beens keeps people from becoming anything. I love that quote. Think about that. The fear of becoming has-beens keeps people from becoming anything. They spend their whole life chasing after something. The person who chases the new and ignores the old soon discovers that he has no deep roots to nourish his life. He also discovers that nothing is really new it's just that our memories are poor. Amen? Nothing's really new. It's just our memories are poor. Ecclesiastes, we hear that old Solomon said that. There's nothing new under the sun. And that's what these people were about. Chasing the latest, greatest thing. The philosophy part of it, real quick, hang with me. Socrates and Aristotle, remember hearing them in school? Unintelligible answers to insoluble problems. What they would do, guys, they sat around all day. They had a place down in the market square, and, and me and Mark would just sit around. We'd just talk about things all day. Just talk, 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 talk. They discussed this idea. They discussed that idea. And they had all kind of ideas. They had all kind of questions, but they didn't have any answers to any of their questions. But we, we just read that there in the parentheses. It says, it says uh, where is it? Let me find it real quick. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Aristotle called philosophy the science that considers truth. Epicureans, we, we said they were talking to the Epicureans. They pursued, their pursuit was of pleasure and the love of fine living, especially food. That sounds like America right there. What do we spend most of our time doing? Going out to eat. Every time we do something, we're going to go out to eat. 
The Epicureans, one more time, there was the pursuit of pleasure and the love of fine living, especially food. Epicureans were materialistic and atheists, and their goal in life was pleasure. Always looking for something to make them happy. We go here, and we go there, and we go here, and we go there, and we want something to make us happy. We want something to, 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 to light our fire. The Stoics, on the other hand, he talked to them. They rejected idolatry. They taught a one-world God. They said there's just one God that, that covers everybody. And, it's one way, and everybody can be right, and everybody can just follow this God and do whatever they want. It's going to all get us there. There's a whole bunch of ways to heaven. Just get on one of them, you'll get there. Emphasis on personal discipline and self-control. Pleasure was not good and pain was not evil. They were just kind of in the middle. Be self-sufficient, unmoved by inner feelings or outward circumstances. This led men to believe they didn't need God. And this is where these people were at. This is, this is the nut, so to speak, as we try to crack a nut. This was the nut that Paul was trying to crack. This is what they were looking at. They thought they were good enough to be their own God. They didn't need Jesus Christ. And guys, as I, I listed all those things and typed them out, I could just see America one after another after another after another. And there's many across this country today, I just don't need a God. I got enough stuff of my own. I can make this on my own. And there's many people that hear the slogan, whatever makes you happy, you do it. Whatever you believe in, you just believe in that. That'd be okay. And guys, I'm not trying to be narrow-minded. But I'm telling you, there's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. And please don't hear me that I said that's the Baptist way. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. He's dealing with all this craziness, and he begins to talk to him. Verse 22, let me finish up. But then stood up in the, Paul then stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that every way you are very religious. Now, there was no doubt they were religious. Guys, listen to me. I don't want you to be religious. God, more than me, God doesn't want you to be religious. These people were religious. They did the same thing over and over and over. Oh, I hear you got religion. I hope not. Oh, you're one of those religious people. I hope not. We're not here because we're religious. We're here because we love Jesus. We're here because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul said, I hear you're religious in every way. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with a description to an unknown God. Isn't that amazing? They had all these gods lined up, and over here was one, and at the base it said, to the unknown God. In case we've left one out, here, here's one for him. They're just covering all their bases. They don't want any God mad at them. To the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Paul always spent a lot of time beating around the bush. He just went to him and said, you're ignorant of what you're worshiping. You don't even understand what you're worshiping. You just said it right here. He's, he's not making anything up. He said, you just said it. The unknown God, you don't even know what you're worshiping. I kind of think today there's a lot of people who don't know what they're worshiping. And this is what I am proclaiming to you. Now listen to this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He just starts laying it out to him. He said, let me take you back to the beginning of the Bible. 
is the Lord heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And I want you to understand, he is sitting at the Acropolis right now. If you remember when you, back in your school days, when you seen that Parthenon thing, you know, and it had all those columns, that's where they're at. We've seen that one over at Nashville one time. It's kind of a copy of that. And, and they've got that, and they're up there, and he's telling them, you know what? The God that I, I'm telling you about, you can't contain him in this beautiful temple. You know, and they thought that that temple, they've they had that to worship their gods. He said, they, he don't need this. He don't need this. He's made everything. He's not, he doesn't live in temples melt by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointment times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Their God seems so far off, guys. Sometimes people, as we look here, God seems so far away. And he's never, he's never any further away than just a prayer. The Bible says he knows how many hairs you got on your head. He cares for you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows you better than anybody. And he wants to take care of you. He wants people to seek after him. He wants you to love him because you want to love him. That's why he gave you a free will. He could have made us robots. He could have made us love him. And as I asked my class this morning, would you rather somebody be forced to love you or love you because they want to love you? And he wants us to love him because we want to love him. He could have made us love him. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. That's grace. In the past, he overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What, what changed? What changed? How comes he used to overlook it, but he don't now? How comes he wants everybody to turn toward him? Because he sent his only son to die for you. He paid a price that we didn't have to pay. He sent Jesus to die in your place. And he'd give Jesus for you. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of the others. In closing, there was three responses there, and there's, there's so much more there that, that we didn't get to look at. I know it's getting long. There's so much there. We'll look at some more of that tonight. But there were three responses there. And it's kind of the responses of the world today. The first group laughed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need God. You've got to understand, I don't need God. I don't need your church. I don't need God. I got this under control. And that's what they were thinking. The other group said, I like what you're saying. I'd like to hear it again. 
You know what that makes me think of when, when he talked to King Agrippa? He said, almost you persuade me. But you know what? Almost is lost. Almost is lost. They, they tickled their ears. They kind of liked what they were hearing, but they didn't reach out there and say, you know, I want to receive Christ. I want to hear some more. I want you to talk. To, and that's okay. I, I, I know there's times when people don't understand at all the first time you visit with them. But I, I think more in this group, it was those groups that liked to talk to each other. They just wanted to talk to be talking. They didn't really want solutions. They just want to talk. And then well, that way, if they don't find a solution, they're not accountable to anything. There was a third group in that, that group, and they responded the right way. How did they respond? They received Jesus. Where are you this morning? Maybe you've already received Jesus, and that's wonderful. Maybe, you're, maybe you still think this is a joke. Maybe you're just here because somebody invited you. Maybe you say, well, I'd like to hear some more. I'm just not convinced yet. And that's fine. But don't allow almost to take you into eternity lost. Because you will say almost. Almost, you persuade me. Almost, that's a good story, but I don't know. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've faced. I don't. I don't know. But you know who does? Jesus Christ. Said he's so close that he can hear you. He's close enough that you can just, he's just right there. You mean, you mean the God of the universe is just right there? Yeah, he's right there. That's somebody that loves you. You can bow and you can pray and close your eyes and pray, and you can just feel his presence right there with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never. And I've sent you a deposit, the Holy Spirit, so you'll know that I'm there. Maybe you want to receive him this morning. Maybe you said, man, I've been fighting this in so many different ways, and it just don't work, none of them. And I want to give my life to Jesus. Surely he can make better work of it than I have. I've just messed it up at every turn. But you know what? He'll help you. Now listen to me. I'm not going to say everything will be all hunky-dory tomorrow and all right tomorrow, but he'll be there with you. And he tells us we're going to have to suffer for a little while in this world, but this is not our home. And one of these days we're going to get to go home, as Brother Danny sang. We're going to be with him. And that's a promise that everyone in this room can accept and grab a hold of if you'll do it. And he'll save you because he loves you. And his grace is amazing. Won't you listen as he speaks today? Let's bow together. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there's so much there. Lord, we could just take one verse and speak and speak and speak. Your grace is just unfolding. It's amazing. Lord, I pray for this room this morning. Lord, I pray for myself first. I just ask you to forgive me of my sins and forgive me of the times that I fail you. Forgive me the times that I'm not what I need to be for you. And then, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I, I pray more than anything that everyone in this room knows Christ as Savior. Lord, I, I just hope they know you. And, Lord, I, I hope they'll just let you come into their life. I pray for my friends that have known you many years. And, Lord, I just ask you to continue to strengthen them. I pray for our new believers. Lord, I ask you to be with them. And I ask you to be with those that are thinking about it today, trying to make sense of all this. Lord, it's so difficult sometimes, but Lord, you've made it so simple. For all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How simple is that? And so, Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning 
that has never known you, they will call upon your name today and they will experience your salvation. Lord, just take this time and speak to us. And we thank you, Lord. In your precious name we pray.